or our family didn't have family vacations. We didn't go to the beach in the summertime. You know, we, we, we wrestle. You know, I don't think I did anything that no one can do or else I wouldn't have done it. It's almost like I was more excited for him to win than, 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 I, than I cared about me winning. You know, that was when I really, truly understood that you can't get on that podium without being a well-rounded wrestler. There's no reason to sleep in. You know, I, I don't, uh, you know, I think sleeping in is a little bit of being lazy. Wrestling is just like one big puzzle. There's like a counterattack to every attack that the opponent has, and it's just fun trying to, like, figure everything out. No, I think you had some uh, pretty good questions, pretty in-depth. Only fault was it I thought I could pin everybody, you know. So going into the semifinals, I didn't really have a game plan. I was like super, super, super intense. All I cared about was wrestling. You know, that's what I love to do. I want to stand. Out. I want to. I want to get in your face. I want to beat you up. For 17 years, it was like it was what I was training for, you know. And this is potentially my last tournament. It's like this is it. It's like eight mile. Like you only get one shot. I felt like he took what was mine, you know, and um, I was trying to take what was his, so just kind of how things go. Welcome back to the Sudden History Wrestling Podcast. We're up to episode 36. As always, I'm your host, Earl Smith. Before we get started this week, I wanted to remind everyone to subscribe to Sudden History on iTunes. The show is available on all of your major podcast hosting site things. If you want to leave feedback, I'd love that too. You can contact me directly on Twitter at D1CW for my personal account. We're at Sudden History for the show itself. In our last episode, I spoke with two-time All-American Adam Hall, who finished his career in 2011. This time we go back five more years to talk to another two-time All-American. Like Hall, he placed third as a junior and fifth as a senior. It's Wisconsin Badger Tom Clum. Welcome to episode 36 of the Sudden History Wrestling Podcast. We're lucky enough to be joined tonight by two-time NCAA All-American and two-time Big Ten champion for Wisconsin, Tom Klum. Welcome, Tom. Yeah, appreciate you having me on. Sure, sure. The uh, One of the first questions I usually start our guests off with is, uh, when and why did you begin wrestling? Oh, man, that's, uh, that's kind of easy. My dad was a wrestler. He wasn't, it wasn't a very good one. He was a JV wrestler. He was behind a, a good kid. I think he was behind a state champ or a runner up or something like that. But, uh, he had my brother and I wrestling on our living room floor since I can remember. And so when I turned seven, my brother was six. He brought us to our first wrestling practice and, uh, I loved the idea of it, but I was terrified. I, I spent most of that first practice sitting on his lap and, and watching the other kids run around. But, uh, I think I think it took maybe three or four practices before I was right in the middle of it and loved it from day one. Mm -hmm. So growing up in Colorado, a state, you know, at the time it was putting out good wrestlers, but maybe not um, the numbers or some of the traditional powerhouse states. You know, where did you go to train and get to the level of, you know, placing in Fargo or, you know, winning a state title as a freshman? Yeah, it was uh... – it was funny because I, I took a I took a weird path to to get to college wrestling. You know, like I grew up with dreams of being a college wrestler. I was I was very average um, until about middle school where I started to catch on a little bit. But even through high school, I didn't really know that I was going to be a you know a college wrestler. I was just kind of taking it as it came and um, 
you know, wrestling was really a very small part of my identity. It, my family is really big into the outdoors, and I would always rather be hunting than wrestling, which I, I honestly I think it kind of gave me a competitive advantage. But growing up, we sought out, you know, coaching from all over the place. I, I have so many really influential coaches that it would be it would be really hard to narrow it down to just one or two. Um, but my, my high school coach was a man named Tom Beeson, and he was a Division II national champ. Back then, they could go to the D1 championships, and he did very well. I don't remember. I don't remember how he did. Um, one of my club coaches was uh, Jimmy Johnson, and his son Matt was a All-American for Iowa State, and so they both had a lot of influence on me. And another club coach was a man named Steve Knight, who also wrestled at Iowa State. Mm-hmm. And so those were, you know, three of the more influential coaches when I was older, though there was many others before them. Um, and, and Jimmy and Steve in particular told me like, Hey Tom, you know, you're pretty good at this. You, you should be thinking about wrestling in college. And I remember the first time they said that, I was like, really, you think so? I didn't think that I was, I was good enough. And, and they told me, yeah, man, your phone's going to be ringing off the hook here in, in, uh, in a couple months, you know, whenever the recruiting, uh, rules allowed the coaches to call. And, and that's kind of what happened. And then, um, you know, by that time in my life, wrestling was a, a really big deal. Obviously, I wrestled more than anybody anybody around here. Mm-hmm. And uh, just kind of, I don't know, that's just kind of the way it went. It was kind of an accident, to be honest. <laughs> um, a little more than a month ago, the top senior in the country, Spencer Lee, was upset in the Pennsylvania State Finals while looking to win his fourth state or state title and cap off his career yeah. undefeated. Uh, you had a yep. similar end to your high school career, undefeated three-time Colorado state champ, losing in a wild match to Brett Roller. Uh, talk about your memories from the match, the time leading up to it, and maybe any theories on why that was, you know, the match for you. Yeah. Yeah. I, got, I pretty much know what happened that match, but uh, leading up to it, you know, like I, like I said, wrestling didn't, I had an advantage because wrestling wasn't very much of my self-worth. It, it wasn't very much of my self-identity. I had other big areas in my life that were just as important to me as wrestling. And so there really was, and people don't believe me when I say this, but there was no pressure on me leading up to the match or really at any point in my career. I was very lucky to wrestle completely uninhibited from pressure. Um, so leading up to that match, I, I was excited. I thought that I was going to do something pretty cool and pretty unique. And I had no doubt in my mind that I was going to win. Um, when that match came, I thought that, uh, I thought that I'd go out there and, you know, wrestle real hard and, and make one big final hurrah of my high school career and learned, <laughs> I learned a pretty valuable lesson. that I think a lot of wrestlers know, but you go out into a big match like that and you go out, you know, guns blazing, pulling the trigger like crazy right off the bat, which is what I did. You just burn yourself out so fast. Mm-hmm. And there was nerves and excitement and adrenaline before that match. And so that first minute or two, I was I was firing on all cylinders, you know, scoring pretty easily. And then that crash that came afterwards, at the time, I didn't really realize it. But, you know, I got reversed at the end of the second period. I'd never been reversed in my entire career. Um, I think I gave up two takedowns in that match, which equaled the amount of takedowns I'd given up in my entire career. Um, so looking back at it, I was able to like see what happened. I just, I just burned myself out in that first period thinking I was going to go do something 
you know, extra instead of just sticking to the plan and, and wrestling the way that got me to that point. And so that was a very valuable lesson that served me pretty good later in my career. But, um, you know, I was talking about that match. It didn't affect me that much. My by that time, by that time in my career, I had bigger goals. I was looking way beyond high school, and so it was a bummer. Um, it stung pretty bad for about two weeks, but I got over it quick. The hardest part about that for me was seeing that the uh, people around me, the coaches, and my family, and seeing how bummed out they were. I think they were mostly bummed out for me. Mm-hmm. I was like, guys, I'm cool. I'm fine. This is you know, this is just wrestling. I'm, I'm on to bigger things next year. Let's, uh, let's just, let's just move on. (laughs) (laughs) Um, another interesting tidbit from your prep career is after high school, you competed in what is thought to be the greatest weight class ever at 2001 senior nationals. Um, this was the back of the time where there wasn't a national tournament every weekend and pretty much all the studs entered. So in addition to yourself, the weight class was won by Joe Dubuque. You had Nick Simmons, Nate Gallick, Sean Bunch, Travis Lee. The two guys who defeated you were big name high school wrestlers who didn't have the same impact in college and Ricky LaFord and Palomino. But did you have an idea at the time just how good those guys were? And are you able to have a greater appreciation for it now looking back on it? Yeah, well, it's definitely easier now looking back at the time. At the time, it was just a bummer, you know. Uh, LaForge beat me in the quarters in double overtime. Um, I don't remember if he rode me out or if I rode him out. And then he wrestled Bunch in the semis. And I beat Bunch a couple weeks later uh, pretty handily. And Sean Bunch is one of those guys that got me in college. I never never got him back. But, um, you know, I think had I won that double overtime match, I could have easily been in the finals. And then Palomino, oh, that was the second time we had wrestled because we had faced each other the year prior at the finals in the tournament in Reno. And that was a good match. It was a, it was a three to one type of match. We each had an escape. I got a late, uh, late match takedown. And that was a short, you know, in the consolation side, it was like, you know, two, one, one, I think. And, uh, we were doing good. I think I had a lead. I don't remember exactly, but I was wrestling really well. And third period, I'm on bottom with the lead. So I'm like, yeah, I got this. He's a minute period. I can get away. He's not going to catch up. He slaps me in a cradle and holds me on my back for the entire period. So that was a, you know, I went from like this close to getting to the finals to not placing. And that, that stung. That stung mm-hmm. bad. So. As we know, you ended up wrestling in college at Wisconsin. You know, what was appealing yeah. about the school to you, and who else did you consider before choosing the Badgers? Um, you know, I wish I would have known then what I know now about uh, about picking schools, but honestly, I feel that Wisconsin was probably the most ideal situation for me. Um, just looking at my personality at the time and, and the kind of kid that I was, um, I, I was really interested in Minnesota. Um, they didn't have much money to offer me. And at the time, I thought that was a bigger deal than, than uh, I do now. Um, Wyoming, because it was close to home. And I was pretty good, pretty good buddies with Ben Charrington growing up. He won a national mm-hmm. title at Boise State. Yep. And so Ben went to Boise. And, you know, I didn't – I was close to going to Boise. If Ben would have chose Wyoming, we probably would have both ended up at Wyoming. But as it turned out, I just uh, I just really wanted to be in the Big Ten, 
Mm-hmm. And so Wisconsin was a good fit at the time that they were recruiting me. They had both Steiners, uh, Barry Davis, even Terry Colat was on staff for like a half a season, but he was there when I was being recruited. Mm-hmm. So I look at that coaching lineup and I'm like, man, Big Ten with all these coaches. Kristoff was a national champ, and then he was again after I signed. So I was like, geez, this, this just looks like a great place. And it turned out it turned out to be uh, a wonderful experience for me. And like I said, I think that was definitely the best fit for me. Mm-hmm. And so how was the transition transition to college for you? Did you ever have a moment in practice or even in a match <laughs> that made you think, you know, wow, I, I belong, I'm really good, I can be a All-American, a Big Ten champ? <laughs> I don't know when that moment was, but I'll tell you what, the first, uh, the first three months was pretty brutal. I was, I was, I remember the, the first practice I had with a, with one of the good guys, you know, was, uh, Kevin Black. Uh-huh. And he wasn't all American. And I fancied myself pretty good on my feet. You know, I gave up four takedowns in high school. I thought that I was, I thought that I was a good wrestler. And, if you kept score that first practice I wrestled with Kevin, it might, might have been 200 to 20, <laughs> and my 20 points were all escapes where he cut me. I don't think I earned a single point on him for more than a year. But I remember thinking, after that first practice, I'm sitting on the wall, and I'm like, holy crap, what what is this? And one of my buddies came up to me, and he goes, hey, hey, Quinn, you want to go uh, do a, a workout with me? And I was like, yeah, sure. I, I mean, I guess. So we go. And uh, we go sit in the sauna. And so I'm sitting there and I'm thinking that, oh, no, he just said, hey, you want to go sit in the sauna with me? I said, yeah, no problem. So we go sit in the sauna and he grabs a couple dumbbells and starts throwing them all around. I'm like, what's this crazy guy doing? And then Kevin comes in there who just throttled me. And he rattles off a thousand jumps on a jump rope without missing one. And I'm sitting there in the sauna, like dead to the world, just got my butt kicked. And I'm looking at these guys all around me and I'm like, I don't know how I could ever be like these guys. I don't know what I've gotten myself into. Um, but it was it was just pride. You know, I was like, I can't quit. I'm not ever going to quit. I'm not going to go home with my tail between my legs. Like, if that's what it's going to take, if i got to be like these guys, I'm going to try to be like these guys. And uh, it took me a couple of years. I'd, I was never exposed to anything like that. And it took me a couple of years to kind of figure it out and uh, build a work ethic. and. Um, you know, my my redshirt freshman year, I got in the lineup and had a couple of good wins, and I, it was mostly just pride that got me through. Got me through that point, though. Mm-hmm. And that season, you competed at 133, came into the NCAA championships unseated, and make a run to the round of 12 for being eliminated in a wild one versus uh, Brandon Lauer of West Virginia. Yeah. It, go into the experience of competing at that tournament for the first time and your feelings at the time about that finish. Yeah. So, uh, honestly, to to this day, that's probably that the one loss that stings the most um, because I was so close. And so that year I had a good win um, against one of the Moore brothers at Penn State, and I forget how he finished that year, but he was he was one of, he was the first you know like uh, top five kid that I ever beat. Mm-hmm. And so I went into that tournament like, yeah, I can do this. I drew Johnny Thompson round one, <laughs> and. Uh, I thought that I was going to go out there and give him a good match. He uh, he majored me in that match. I got majored twice in college. That was one of them. And uh, just wrestled my way back. And as the bracket turned out, it, it worked really well for me because I didn't think I really had a highly seated kid all the way to the round of 12 where I wrestled Brandon Lauer, 
who beat me um, to place at Junior Nationals in Fargo when we, when we were in high school. Oh, wow. And so I was excited to get get my revenge, you know. He beat me then, but I'm going to beat him mm-hmm. where, it, where it matters more. And that match started off so good. I got a takedown to his back, so two and two. I got another takedown in the first period. Let him go again, so it's six to two. And I've got a, uh, I'm running a double leg, and I'm like, this match is over. It's going to be eight to two going into the second period. I've got it in the bag. I ran that double leg so hard, the momentum kind of carried me over. And we got in this weird situation where he ended up getting defensive back points and takedowns. So he got five, five off of that. And so now all of a sudden we have a close match. And we're just trading takedowns back and forth. Um, I don't remember how it worked out, but he ended up having a five-point lead in like the last 30 seconds. And so I, I snapped him down, ran to my cradle, which was really my only go-to five-point move. And so I I uh, got my cradle locked up and rolled him to his back. And I'm looking at his shoulders, and I'm like, come on, ref, call it any time, <laughs> man. And the ref's jumping back and forth, and he rolled off his back. And so, you know, I tied the match and went into overtime. And then, and here's another lesson I wish I would have learned in high school. I wish I would have lost in high school and not had that undefeated run. But uh, it's overtime, and I'm so antsy, and I'm like, all right, if he gets to my leg, I can't stop him. So I got to get to his leg first. That's what's going through my mind. And so the whistle blows, and I take a stupid outside shot because I just think I got to go right now. And and he sees it come and spins behind me. And so it was a very anticlimactic finish. Just mm-hmm. to go behind off my dumb shot, but uh, but. Man, I was just right there. Uh, so your sophomore season, it was the only one in which you competed at 125. I know your freshman year, you had Tony Black in there. Uh, did that end yeah. up being a big cut for you? Because, again, you ended up at 33 the next year. Yeah, it was it was, it was was pretty rough on me. Um, I don't think that that's an excuse for not placing at the tournament. I, you know, I had a good season all year. Um, I never got to wrestle Powell, who was the champ that year. I had beat Ott twice during the season as the runner-up um, in two good matches. Kyle Ott still one of my favorite wrestlers. Um, so I walked into that tournament thinking that I had a, a legit chance. And even looking back, I think that was probably um, maybe my best chance to win it that my sophomore year there. Um, mm-hmm. First match, I wrestled the Lehigh kid. Um, he beat me by the same score I beat him earlier in that year. Mm-hmm. Caught me in some funky throw off my shot. Ended the first period five to nothing, and uh, he was a previous All American. I was the four seed, and I just couldn't come back. And he was mm-hmm. just too good. Um, and then I don't know, I don't know what happened that next day. Um, but I don't remember. I won the, the match that night, and I got beat first round that next day, but. I think I was just feeling sorry for myself. I should have, uh, I don't know. I don't know. That that one, that one stings to think back on that season. And that first takedown would have been different. That first match, it might have, it might have been different, but, but, uh, I don't know. It's hard to say now. I don't know a single wrestler that doesn't have a couple points in his career where he looks back on and says, dang it. <laughs> you know, and that's probably mine. Uh huh. And, you know, fairly unfairly you know people and maybe you yourself you end up judging your entire season you know by that tournament you know yeah <laughs> um 
so a year later, you make it to the semis before losing to the eventual champ, Travis Lee. And in that sequence, yeah. um, he, he pinned you. You almost had a counter to his single leg, and he catches a cradle. Um, you know, what are your memories from that tournament, your first trip to the semis? Yeah, I remember that real well. And I'll tell you what, that was the coolest experience in my life. I remember the music playing before the semi started and uh, Mike Allen, which was always one of my favorite refs. He was out yep. there dancing on the mat. I <laughs> looked around and Donnie Pritzoff was coaching at Hofstra at the time. And I'd gotten to know Donnie really well from my, my redshirt season because he stuck around for a year. He's one of those guys I really looked up to. And so Donnie comes over and he's like, you got this club. And I was like, man, this is cool. I was just, I was pumped up. And so that match with Lee, uh, I don't think I've ever grabbed a guy and, and thought, holy crap. I mean, I grabbed his arms and I was like, this dude is solid. He is fast. He is strong. And, uh, we got in a weird situation. I remember he had my leg and I thought I saw a chance where I could just kind of push into him and create some, create a scramble, maybe catch him on his back. But I pushed in, and I don't know if he saw it coming or if it was just luck, but he kind of he kind of braced himself at the same time, and I put my head right by my knee. It was mm-hmm. like I gave it to him on a silver platter, and he was good enough to take it. <laughs> he was like, dang it, I didn't hardly get a chance. First period, I got pinned. <laughs> um, so after that match, you rebound to finish third. You know, a lot of people will say that finishing third can be you know, more difficult than first because you're having to pick yourself up back after the semis, winning two matches, you know, looking back, how much do you value, you know, getting back up there and finishing third? Uh, Yeah, that was never really big, big, like it wasn't hard for me to bounce back after tough losses. I never, uh, you know, it wasn't a huge disappointment to me to where it would cripple my performance or anything like that. I was, I always put my best effort forward. Um, there was really only a match or two in my whole life where I didn't feel like I really did put my best effort forward. Um, and so I was fairly consistent in that way. And so losing, that didn't stop me from my mission, which was just to wrestle as, I, I mean, I wanted to wrestle my best match every single match, and regardless of the situation, regardless of where I was in the bracket. So it wasn't it wasn't even a second thought. I was going to go out there and, and do my best, and, and that's what I did. So in your final Big Ten tournament, you're named the outstanding wrestler after defeating three previous or future All-Americans with Andre Hernandez, Chris Flieger, Mac Ryder. Uh, yeah. Prior prior to the finals, you scored a ton of points in those matches. You know, talk about your performance throughout that tournament, and does that put you into a different place mentally heading into nationals? Um, not necessarily, because I I won the Big Tens my my sophomore year too. Yep. And so I kind of been there before where I had a, a real good performance at the Big Tens and then a poor performance at the NCAAs. So that, that really tempered my mindset moving into the NCAAs. Um, that Big Ten tournament, I ended up with Chris Flieger on my side, which kind of bummed me out. Uh, Ryder got the, the one seed. I never lost. He never scored a point on me. Um, Flieger, I don't remember. No, they didn't wrestle that year. And Ryder did not wrestle when we dueled Wisconsin. So there was kind of, but Flieger beat me. So I don't remember how it all, um, oh, I know. Flieger had a, uh, he got booted from a match for an illegal move. So Flieger and I both had a loss. Ryder didn't have a loss. He got the first seed. Um, when Flieger beat me in the duel that year, it was, he was pretty handily. I mean, he was one of the only guys that really controlled me the whole match in every position. I'm thinking, man, I don't know if I got an answer for this guy, but 
right at the end of the match, I got in on his legs, and I got a pretty easy takedown. And I thought, yeah, I got a chance. If I get to this guy's legs, I think I could beat him. So Big Ten's rolls around, and that's what's in my mind. I'm like, you know, again, I, I don't have the good enough defense to stop him. So I know i got to pull the trigger first. got to get to him first. And he took me down in, like, the first two seconds. In an exfoliating way, his ankle kicked me. It was almost embarrassing. Um, but after that, I just got on a roll and scored a couple takedowns and built up some momentum and, and uh, rattled off a bunch of points. Um, so I got past him and going to that match with Mac Ryder. It's one of those guys I, I always felt real confident wrestling him, but I hated wrestling him because he just tried so hard in every position. Never had a break, never got to catch a breather. There was always a fight every single second, but I still felt confident. Mm-hmm. Um, he did end up scoring a takedown on me that match. I think it was the only time he scored on me in three or four matches, but uh, that match went into overtime. There was a point in overtime I remember laying on my stomach and I had my breath. We were in like three overtimes because it was the first year that they had changed the, the overtime rules. Mm-hmm. Laying on my stomach, and I take my mouthpiece, I throw it over my coach just to try and get some extra air, and I look up, and he's jogging back to the center. <laughs> I remember thinking, man, how am I going to get out of this? You know? Mm-hmm. But, uh, but, you know, like, giving up or, or taking a step back, never even in the in the realm of possibility. So I just wrestled as hard as I could, and we got to a, a situation where um, that was a little kickover when the guy's on a, on a low single. And I won some other big matches in that same exact way. Um, I beat Kyle out the same exact way when we were set up in his motor. And so he was in on a single way, and it was like, you know, a few seconds before we got to that final position. I was like, oh, I know where we are. So I forced him down to my ankle and waited until the time was right, kicked over, and, and uh, Snake that last takedown out, and it was uh, it was an exciting match because Minnesota was kind of in the team race. Mm-hmm. So the whole arena was cheering for me, and then half the arena was from Minnesota. They're all cheering for that, and so it was uh, really it was a cool environment. It was one of those times I look back on on a career and was like, yeah, that was that was cool. I feel pretty fortunate that I got the chance to have a match like that, and I got to come out on the right side of it. Mm-hmm. It was a pretty special one. And you had mentioned earlier, um, you know, trying to just always wrestle hard and wrestle a perfect match. Uh, do you have a match in your career that sticks out as, you know, that perfect match or that best match? Um, yeah, that semis match with Chris Bleeger is one of my more proud wins. Um, I think because I never really considered myself the best wrestler on the mat, but I always thought that I could find a strategy to beat guys that were better than me. Um, Chris Flieger, and I don't have a problem with being this, I can't say this in the wrestling world, but um, I knew when guy was better than me. I knew when he had better skills than I did or was faster or stronger and all those things. But that didn't mean that I thought that he could beat me. I still thought that I could beat those guys even though they were better because I thought that I was, I had an edge in strategy where I could figure out a way to, to outsmart them or flip the match in my favor. Um, mm-hmm. Which I think I did a lot of times. I beat a lot of guys that were I had two, was 2 and 0 against Kyle Ott. I always figured he was better than me. Um, I beat Joe Dubuque in our only non-red shirt match. He beat me when we were red shirts. Um, 
you know, guys that I always thought had a little bit of edge on me, I just thought I had a better strategy. And so that match with Flieger, because I had so much respect for him as a wrestler and because he had controlled every position so much in our duel meets, that's probably one of my, one of the wins where I'm, um, you know, felt like, yeah, everything was hitting on all cylinders in that match. That's probably the one I look back on and think, yeah, that was just, that was probably my one of my better matches. And so at Nationals, you were defeated and again in the semis by the eventual champion this time, Matt Valenti. Um, you, yeah. you wound you wound up in fifth place, two time All American. You know, was it a bittersweet experience? You know, finishing fifth uh, as a senior after you know, I'm sure you had championship aspirations. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I went in that tournament fully expecting to to uh, to be in the finals and fully expecting to win that tournament. Um, I figured that Valenti would be one of the tougher matches. I, I knew we had to wrestle in the quarters. Um, and that that match just went the wrong way from the very beginning. Um, I thought I had a takedown on the edge. I tried to drag my feet, got out of position, he jumped around me. So right off the bat, it was like I went from virtually having a takedown to getting taken down. And uh, it just kind of went that way the whole time. Um, in the round of 12, I had to wrestle Vasquez from Chow Poly. He was the first first ever California four-timer. Mm-hmm. And we had actually both been selected to wrestle in the All-Star Classic at the beginning of that year. I tore a ligament in my hand, so I couldn't, I couldn't make that All-Star Classic. But I was like, if there was ever a time in my life that I was, or a time in my career where I was nervous to the point of being miserable, it was in that round of 12 match because it was like, I got a guy that we could have easily been in the finals together, and here we are wrestling. One of us is not going to place. Um, but I was a senior. I was like, I'm not going down like this. I'm going to win the match and, uh, and squeak past him. Um, bunch beat me the next morning, caught me in a cradle for five. And again, it was a good match. We'd trade the takedowns prior to that. Um, you give up five points to a guy like Sean Bunch. It's hard to come back from that. And then in the, my final match, I had Nathan Morgan, Oki State kid. Mm-hmm. And, uh, um, actually I watched the How Low Can You Go DVD by John Smith when I was in fifth grade. That was a, really the turning <laughs> point in my whole career. Uh-huh. That's kind of what made me a good wrestler. It gave me a take on a way to score. And so I thought, man, you learned anything. I want to hit a low single in this match just because John Smith is <laughs> Um, which I think I got a couple. But, uh, but again, I was like, this, this is my last draw. I'm a senior. I'm going to win this match. I'm not going to go out. My final match ever, and uh, I don't remember the score, but it was. I felt pretty in control that whole match. So yeah, very bittersweet. I, I was walking around the tournament before the finals, and I was like, "Man, it's done now. It's over. My career is just completely over, and I am not wrestling tonight." I was walking down the hall, and I, I see this old man with big old cauliflower ears. And I remember looking at him, thinking. You know that guy's a wrestler one day. He probably, he probably had a career that was worth uh, worth something. And I don't know who that is. I I don't know that man or what he ever did. And it was kind of one of those moments where it was like, yeah, that's you know, wrestling ends and life goes on. And I'm not going to let this, uh, I'm not going to let this define me or bring me down or or make me feel bummed out for years to come. I really think that I did the best with what I had. I trained the, the hardest. 
with what I knew at the time. Looking back, yeah, I do things different. Um, but at the time, I didn't get everything within my power. And so I kind of came to a, um, I don't want to say a sense of peace, but I kind of came to grips with reality that it was over and I wasn't going to be bummed out. I was going to move on with life and kind of did from that day on before the fans. And speaking of moving on, um, you know, what have you been up to professionally? I, I believe you've done a lot with the outdoors. Is that correct? Yeah. My dad started a, a traditional archery store when I was in middle school or so. And mm-hmm. so it was kind of, that was, that's really my life's passion is, is bow hunting, traditional bow hunting. And so, you know, after I got done, done with college, I stayed in Wisconsin for a couple of years, but my dreams were always to come back and, work in that store with my dad to try to build a real business. And so um, my brother transferred to Wisconsin from Wyoming. And when he finished um, a couple years after me, I got married um, and moved home the next week and started working at that uh, archery store with my dad and my brother. And it's been, it's been awesome. And I also know you're involved with the mile high wrestling club. Looking at the website, you have an impressive group of coaches to serve the young wrestlers in Colorado. Talk about, you know, some of the people that are involved with you and, you know, why you enjoy coaching at the youth level. Yeah. Um, coaching youth wrestling took some time for me to really start to appreciate and kind of find my, my way of doing it. Um, you know, when I moved back, um, a buddy, a, a good buddy that helped coach me and my brother in high school, his name is Todd Leggy, and And he's, we were sitting down in my parents' living room, and, and he's like, "Guys, we got to start a wrestling club, and we got to do it now. Um, I think we have a chance to do something special, and you know, we can't wait for this. We got to, we got to do it now." So we started Mile High Wrestling Club in 2008, and uh, I thought that you know, before me and Ben Charrington, there had been a long time in Colorado where there was you know one or two All Americans, like the 15 or 20 years before us. <laughs> so I thought that. Coming back to Colorado, having earned a couple All-American uh, honors, I thought that it would be pretty easy to start a wrestling club, and it, it absolutely was not. Um, our first practice, our, our first entire year, we had like five to seven kids at each practice, and so it was kind of one of those things where I was like, "Man, what, what are we doing here?" You know. Um, but those kids all made tremendous games, and so it ended up being an extremely enjoyable experience to work with those kids and see what they did. Um, they all ended up being multiple time state champs. I think of those five or seven kids, there was, yeah, if there were seven kids, there was five of them that went on and wrestled at division one schools and had really good high school careers. Mm-hmm. And so it was a very slow process. Um, that wrestling club, those first three years was really slow. Um, but we started to gain some traction. Um, just by a stroke of luck, one of the kids in our club, his dad uh, worked at um, Qualcomm, and he says, hey, Tom, do you know who Nick Amuchastegui is? And I'm like, yeah, are you kidding me? I was like sitting three rows above his mat when he beat Ed Ruth, when Ed Ruth was a uh, freshman. I'm like, yeah, I know who he is. I love that guy. And he goes, yeah, I work with him. Would you be interested in having him coach? And I was like, absolutely. And so I uh, met Nick through uh, his dad, and we hit it off. Nick's a big-time outdoorsman and hunter, and we are too. 
and he's just an all-around good guy. I mean, our philosophy on wrestling are uh, we we were completely in sync with. Um, Nick is a very strong man of faith, uh, kind of guy that I look up to. He's younger than me, but I really look up to him in that way. Um, so we shared faith together. We shared the outdoors, uh, passion for wrestling, obviously. And so it just worked out to be a great fit. And Nick's been wonderful. And then when the Yon brothers moved uh, back home to Colorado from Minnesota, they were both All-Americans out there. Sonny was a, mm-hmm. a three-time All-American. I think Cody was just a one, maybe two-time All-American. And so gave those guys a call and said, hey, would you guys like to be involved in this? And they, they jumped all over it. And so now all of a sudden we've got, you know, Amucha Stegi and the Yon brothers on board. And we had, and still do have something pretty So we lost a little bit of momentum. We're in a little bit of a rebuilding phase. But kids having success and going and wrestling all over the country at uh, at the D1 level. And so it's it's beyond our wildest dreams right now. We've got a really good you know, traveling youth team. I don't get into youth wrestling that much. I don't think it's a huge indicator. I, um, we go like go off on huge teams and done but uh, I really focus on good training and good wrestling, and I focus on long term development. I'm not a I'm not a big believer in short term success. I try to try to stress long term success and and hard work over long periods of time, which I believe is what it takes to get good at wrestling at the you know at the college level at least. And that's funny you said that about a tangent because I was going to ask you about, uh, you know, some of the areas you'd like to improve on, you know, not yourself, but coaching at the youth level as a whole. Yeah, I think I think my experience might have given me a little bit of bias because I was such an average wrestler, maybe even bad wrestler when I first started. And I took a long road to, to, to success. Um, and I got good over time and, and passed a lot of guys up. Um, that were, you know, more athletic or, or just more natural or better when we were younger. And so I obviously believe in that. But just just looking back on wrestling and, and all the experience I've had and how many great wrestlers there were when we were young. And you get to high school and like half of those guys are gone, you know. Mm-hmm. And then you get to college and way more than half of those high school studs are gone. And the other half, I mean, most of those kids party and don't really live a, a, a lifestyle that's conducive to winning to a college level. And so it's kind of, I, mean, I don't want to ever say that it's easy, but it's kind of like, you know, you live a good life and you train the right way and you stick with it long enough, you get pretty good at the sport. And so I really don't stress, you know, like success on the youth level. Our youth kids travel all over the place and they're tremendous wrestlers. but. um you know, almost almost to my club's detriment, I I really preach that winning at that level is not the thing that, that we should really be focusing on. It should be getting better and enjoying the sport, finding ways to enjoy the sport. And when kids are focused on winning, and I didn't have track wrestling growing up, I couldn't look up the guy I was about to face and see his life's history. Sure. So we didn't have to really deal with that kind of pressure, that kind of comparison there wasn't youth rankings when i was growing up but there is all that stuff now and i don't think very many kids have the emotional maturity to navigate those waters 
and not have it really affect their performance. Mm-hmm. And so I, I have, I have upset a lot of parents when I you know, give speech after practice. I tell the kids, winning right now does not matter. The good guys right now are not necessarily going to be the good guys when you're old. Some of them will be, but most of them won't be. And um, that is, I don't think that's a very popular opinion <laughs> in the yeah, rest but of the world. I love it. It's surely not what parents who are paying you want to hear. You know? <laughs> yeah, that's right. But I'll uh, stick to that. Um, I'll stick to that. That's what I believe in. I don't, I've never really wrestled with another guy, another teammate that liked wrestling. Most of my college teammates hated it. They did it because they were good and they felt like they had to. And I was like, man, that's a bummer because this is an awesome sport. And it's, uh, it takes a lifetime of mastery to get good at it. It would really suck to have gone through a college career and hated wrestling at the same time. So I don't know how effective change in the culture, I don't think that's really possible. It's human nature to want to win all the time right now. It's really hard to convince somebody that your life is not defined by how good of a wrestler you are when they're in the moment. Oh, yeah, I guess that was right, but... When you're in the moment or your kid's in the middle of it, it's really hard to detach yourself from that and enjoy the enjoy wrestling for one and not get so stressed out for the other. Oh. And, you know, with that answer, we're going to roll into my, my final question. It's my favorite one. Um, how would you like for people to remember you and your career as a wrestler? Oh, I don't know. Um, I'm not perfect by any means. I try to stay humble. Um, I try to be a, a consistent and hard-nosed competitor. Um, I tried, to, you know, I tried to just—I had tried to have a um, a gentle spirit off the mat. And like I said, I, I, in many ways, I, sh- I should have done a lot better at that. Tom Clum, the person, is not Tom Clum, the wrestler. And, uh, you know, in the wrestling world, it's really, what have you done for me lately? I mean, guys are forgotten the second they're done wrestling. And so I think the relationships that we form through the sport are what's lasting. And I hope that I have done a good job of that. And I, I really strive to do a good job of that, you know, going forward and now as an adult. Um, so I guess that, I guess that would be, you know, you know, forming good relationships and, and, uh, just being a, a nice guy. That's what it's for. All right. Is there anything else that you want people to know about you or anything you want to promote or, you know, anything else? Um, I'm a pretty, actually a pretty poor self promoter. I, I try to stay in the shadows now as a coach. I don't really attend a whole lot of events and we don't really promote our wrestling club, you know, beyond word of mouth. Um, I really advocate for the kids to get as much good training as they can, not stick stick to one club or to one coach. I want kids going out and seeking out other opportunities. But, uh, I do think we have a pretty special thing going here in Colorado with our wrestling club. And we've got a heck of a staff of uh, uh, really good college wrestlers. And so if I was to promote anything, it would just, I guess, it would be my, my wrestling club. And, and the guys that we've got on board, I think we are a, a good option for some good training out there uh, Denver area hears this I guess mm-hmm. 
All right, a big thanks to Tom Klum for joining me on the Sudden History Wrestling Podcast. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on. Thank you. Once again, I really appreciate Tom taking the time to talk to me. After we spoke, he admitted that he isn't all that comfortable talking about himself, but he only did so because I asked. What a good dude. In my opinion, he did a great job rehashing his career with me, so thanks again, Tom. Before we go, make sure to check out the entire lineup of the ever-expanding Matt Talk Podcast Network. Also, a shout-out to my guys at The Rudis. I'm currently competing with Matt Talk Online's Jason Bryant and a host of others in Wrestling Shirt a Day on Twitter, where we post a picture of different wrestling shirts that we're wearing each day. With help from The Rudis, I have my D1CW shirt on now, as well as a number of other wrestling-related shirts, so I will not be running out anytime soon. All right, that's enough for this week. I'll turn it over to Greg Jones to take us away. How the hell do I get off this stage? <laughs>